Howdy. Is it good? I live in London. I'm not from London. Is that okay with you guys? You know where I'm from. God bless Texas. Uh, this is really a joy for me. I was telling Joe earlier, uh, Americans are very quick to call people friends. Uh, but I feel like I can call Joe friend. So I asked him if that was okay if I could call him. Because Brits aren't very quick to call people friends, right? <laughs> Brits don't really like Americans that much anyways. But we're friends. And it's cool to, for me to be here, really not on my vision, but on your pastor's vision. To say, I want this for my church. And so I don't know if you caught a little emotion there happening with Joe a little bit. God's doing something in his heart, which then overflows to the church. And so what we're getting tonight is something that's happening in his heart. It's happening in people in this room's heart. Um, it's been a joy to be with you already today. I was in uh, Bogner. Can I say that right? Bogner? That was fun. God was doing something. I, I was so grateful to be with you guys. And it was clear that the Lord is doing something in your midst. And so as an outsider and as a brother in Christ, if I can say, I think God is preparing you for something as a church, I'm just in full agreement and full of faith for that. And I'm, I'm excited to look out and see your faces, because if you're here on a Sunday night at 7.30, this is the committed remnant of the people of God. Amen? You guys are ready. So uh, we don't need a clock tonight. Amen? I'm just kidding. No. you got work tomorrow. And uh, we, we want to honor the Lord with this time. Um, and I am going to tell some stories. One thing I'd ask is I'm going to share names that won't be shared outside of this room. Uh, please don't take pictures. Uh, I'm going to share things. That are, these are my friends. These are people I love deeply. And so you're going to see pictures of people, not to set an overseer's tone, but many of these people would be affected, uh, imprisoned, and other things, um, and some have been. And so uh, for me, as in many of you as a Westerner, if you went to these places, they would just put you on the next flight home. But it would affect these friends. And so don't take pictures of that. Um, and I'll share some of my story with you as well. Joe's asked me to share some of my own testimony because we would not be able to step into some of the things that God's allowed us to do if it wasn't for answered prayer in our own lives and where he is taking care of us and, and restored us. And so as we get into this, I do want to anchor us in the Word of God because we believe in the Word of God and we need the Word to guide us. And so go to Luke 10 with me, if you would. And I want to start there and give us some hinges, if you will, uh, for where we're headed. Um, this is a passage where Jesus is sending out the disciples. And I'm going to fly through this stuff. This is not a Sunday morning sermon. This is us just going for it together. But I would encourage you to take down some of these passages. I just won't have the time to fully unpack them. But listen to this and how... Uh, everything tonight that we're walking through, every story, how can you obey Jesus in this way? How can grace as a church, as a community, really uh, say we're going to step into serving God in the nations? And so as you read this, think of how, what is your role to reach the nations? Because we can read the whole of Scripture and see where God is caring for the nations. He wants to redeem the nations to himself. All the way back in Genesis 12, we see Abraham blessed that you will be a blessing to all nations. And we get this idea of it's not about just us, but it is about God getting glory in the nations. nations. Thank you, Liz. Bless you. Ten points for you. Okay, so we are going to look at having a heart for 
all peoples, of all nations. Even in this room, there are multiple languages spoken. Uh, Acts 2, where the tongues come of fire, is a reversal of Babel and the Tower of Babel, where God is bringing people to himself, uniting us. When we speak in tongues in that way, we are uniting again, and we're all able to hear the gospel fresh. The whole theme of the scriptures is to sing a new song and declare my glory among the nations, right? And so as we get into this, and as I'm looking out as a room full of leaders, not, don't be just thinking for you, but how can your church step into this? Um, I prayed this morning at Bogner that some of the kids would be missionaries one day, that all these kids were sent out. We prayed that some of the kids would be church planners one day, that this gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed to all nations and from generation to generation. And so you in this room have received faith from the generation before. Pass it on to your kids. Don't just be thinking of you tonight. Think of the church. Think of your city. Think of God calling all of us to the nation. So this is Jesus in Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's what we're here to do tonight. We're going to end tonight with praying for laborers to go into the harvest. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. I'm going to share a story tonight of going out two by two and going to homes and seeing the peace of God rest on that house and seeing people saved in that way. But you look here in Luke 10, if you, in your Bibles, if you flip over or if you look down, you go down to verse 17. This is after the 72 have returned. So this is kind of their first mission trip in a way. Jesus sends them out, they come back, and they're telling that all the demons submitted to him and people were healed and all these incredible things happened. And they're saying, Jesus, this really happened. And Jesus is kind of like, yeah, I told you this was going to happen. Like, why didn't you believe me? You know, there's that little bit of this tone here. But listen to what he responds to them with. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, this is kind of like the ultimate one-up right here that Jesus does. They're like, the demons submitted to us. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven heaven. That is how we're going to pray tonight. So pray with me as we get started. Jesus, I pray that as we leave this place tonight, there would be vision for how grace is going to be on mission with you. I pray that there would be a joy to return to you saying, yes, even the demons submit to us in your name. But would there be so much more joy that every person in this room that knows you and is sealed by your Holy Spirit, will be with you 10,000 years from now. Let us rejoice in our salvation 
And because of that, we would then go share your good news. Would you give us some fire in our hearts and in our bellies tonight, God? Would you allow us to see what we have not seen? Would you allow us to see things prophetically? Would you allow gifts to operate in this room tonight? Would there be hope as a sense of God's doing more? I want to be a part of that. Would there be joy? Would there be a fullness of your spirit? And God, I pray, would, above all, would we not rejoice in the things or the stories or things like that? Would we rejoice that our names are written in the book of life? And so we ask Jesus, and I ask right now for myself, God, would you coat all these words? Would it be for your power, your name, your glory? Or may I decrease and you increase, Jesus. Uh, may we as a family of believers see you rightly tonight. Would you get the glory? In Jesus' name, amen. There's a joy and there's a weight to this, right? There's a heaviness. We talked about that in Bogner this morning. But there is incredible joy that our God's victorious and that he's on the move. I love Hebrews 11. It's probably become one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I'm not going to go into it tonight, but I encourage you to read it and just look at how many moments in there it says, by faith. By faith in the simple actions they have over and over again, and half of them are just moving houses. It's shocking. Abraham, by faith, moved. He took a step. He took a step of action. Um, For us as a family, we thought we were headed to Morocco. We have been sending people to the 1040 window, Morocco, Jordan, the Middle East, for the last eight or nine years, training people. Um, before that, we had been uh, continuing to, to be on mission in various ways. Um, and we, and I just briefly will share, we, we thought we were going to Morocco, and God rerouted us. You can go to the next picture there. Um, this, is, this is us in May of 2022. Um, we had to fly through London to go to High Wycombe to sign off at uh, Frontiers Global Headquarters because we were sending two young ladies from our church in Texas to live in Baghdad full-time. And we had to sign off that if they died, we wouldn't sue Frontiers, basically. And so that we flew out there for that trip, and we said, hey, let's make, a, let's make a little trip out of this. On our way to Morocco, we were going to look at houses in Morocco We spent in, in language schools, and we were going to lead, lead a team in a hub of missionaries for Frontiers in Casablanca. And we were looking at that one and the one in Amman. So this is like a 10-week vision trip and interview as a family. So bless my wife. We loaded up. All of that, you see, was everything we had for 10 weeks with an 18-month-old. It's good times. And uh, God, God took care of us. This next picture is one of my favorite pictures that um, we have personally as a family. I showed this this morning in Bogner, but it blesses my heart. This will be on my daughter's wall. Um, when she is 14, we will remind her that she was praying in Jordan, laying hands on missionaries at 18 months old. And the joy of that is that she's a part of her daddy's business. She's a part of mommy's business. She's stepping into this mission, doesn't even know, doesn't even have a clue. But she is joining in with what she's seeing and what she's uh, invited into. And, and God began to stir in our, our family's lives, you can leave it there for a second, um, towards what that could look like. We came back to the States praying about where God would take us next. We had friends keep inviting us to London, and through a series of events, I was offered a senior pastor role I thought was in London, but it was actually in this place called Surrey, 
which is not London. And uh, they were trying to swindle me into getting there, I think. And I had a 30-minute coffee scheduled at Westminster Chapel in London. And it just happened to be with this guy named Guy Miller, which some of you know who that is, Leeds Commission. And a 30-minute coffee turned into a a three-and-a-half-hour coffee. And he's crying. And he looks at us, and he looks at me and my wife, and he says, I think this is a holy moment for you. And I think God has called you to be both a pastor and a missionary. My wife starts crying because we've been praying about that for 10 years. Are we pastors or missionaries? Are we goers or are we senders? That's what we had been wrestling with. And in the mercy and kindness of God, Guy Miller looks at me and says, what if you just did both? What if you came to London and you, you sent and trained missionaries for commissions so that our organization could send to Muslim peoples again? And what if you planted a church to reach Muslims in London? So you're like a pastor and a missionary. And he looks at me and says, we don't have any money. We don't have a job description, but we need you. I'm just like sold, you know? Not at all. I came back and I was wrestling with it. My wife, though, and this is a fun part of the story. uh, The night before, we had been in a prayer meeting in East London. And I had prayed, God, if you want us to move to London... I'm sick of making decisions. You've got to make it snow. And this was December 12th of 2022. And you might remember December 12th because across the south of England, it snowed six inches that night. And uh, I prayed, God, would you make it snow? We walk out of Westminster Chapel. We're walking by Buckingham Palace. The snow flurries start to come down. I'm terrified. God, what are you doing? This guy just said he's got no money. I don't think I'm supposed to go to Surrey. What are you doing, God? We come back to the States, and we're praying. We're saying, God, if you really want us to move, you're going to have to make this happen. I don't want to raise support. I don't want to raise support to live in London. It's like the most expensive city on the planet. What am I doing, God? This is stupid. That's what I was praying. I was praying that out loud. Angry prayers. God, what are you doing? And God says, yeah, just watch. And I said, what? What is happening? So the Sunday morning before Christmas last year, we're praying and we're saying, God, what, what do you want us to do? We don't, we don't understand this. If you want us to raise support, you've got to provide today. I get a call from a church I had worked at five year, four or five years earlier. They say, hey, you just came up in our elders meeting. We would love to ask you to come teach for us once or twice a month. We'll fly you out from wherever you are in the U.S., I said, what? How did you know the situation I'm in? How did you know where I'm at right now? I said, we had no idea. We just prayed. So I'm kind of terrified. Maybe God's doing something. I call my, my dad. I'm saying, dad, you're not going to believe this, but this church wants to fly me out. I don't understand what's happening. He says, son, can you not see that God's providing for you? And he said some other words. And he said, don't be an idiot, okay? <laughs> he said, come live with us. We'll take care of your housing. And you can raise support from here. And our church will support you. My father's been a pastor for about 42 years. And so I'm a little bit confused. And it's, if you're trying to hear from God, it's always good to check your email, okay? Because something might happen. Check my email. Get an email. A seminary wants to pay me for six months to teach for them. Out of nowhere. I'm like, God, what are you doing? We have a six-month runway to raise support. There's no way you're going to do that. Five months, support is raised. We're saying, God, what do you want us to do? Why are you bringing us 
to London. And as we prayed and as we walked through this, what does this look like? God showed us that he is calling us to send from the nations in the UK to the nations. As we began to pray and our hearts would grow, we saw and we learned in the history that actually London and the UK has sent more missionaries per capita than any other place in history. And so this prayer that I'm sharing with you tonight is that let, let the UK send again. Let London send again. The history of the revivals that have happened in this place on your island, if I can say that, have shaped the course of history. As we begin to pray of who's going to plant with us or do ministry with us, there's a Brazilian, a Nigerian, a South Korean. These are all places, and myself an American, these are all places that once received the gospel from missionaries from the UK. And God is, in his kindness, sending back to the UK. I hope you see that, that in God's providence, he's bringing people back. A fun thing that you might not be aware of that I want to encourage you that God is doing in the nations is something called the send. Uh, Several years ago before COVID, there was kind of a prophetic word to send from the nations that we need to call young people to go reach the unreached peoples of the world again. And that what if in our generation, there were no more unreached people with the gospel and Jesus came back? That's the premise of this conference. They gathered 80,000 young people in Kansas City. Over 10,000 of them have taken steps to move as missionaries full-time in the nations. The SEND has people like Francis Chan and YWAM and Andy Bird and others getting behind it. They began to pray and they said, God, we trust you. You brought this together. We didn't have any funding. You made this happen. They said, we want to see this happen in other nations. So the first nation to throw their hand up was Brazil, of course. And Brazilians like to party. And, and Brazilians that love Jesus, they, they're rowdy. They're fun, okay? They sold out the first stadium in 30 minutes. They sold out the next one in 10 minutes. They realized we need more stadiums to gather young people who want to go to the nations. They gathered 140,000 people in a stadium to worship. 22,000 of those young Brazilians have taken steps to move to the nations Over 2,000 have come to the UK. Now you ask why, what is God doing with that? They're coming here to be sent from here. God is stirring amongst some churches, even in the UK and London right now, and they just, the SEND, just got approved for Wembley Stadium. They want to gather 90,000 young people in Wembley Stadium. That's what they're praying for in 2025. I have a feeling looking at some of your faces, you're going to be there. Um... There is an excitement. God is doing something in the nations. And this generation is saying, we've had enough. This world is so dark. We don't want to be in this world. We want to see God move. And I want to encourage you, things are happening. We moved here with a vision to send to the nations. I had no idea about the send eight months ago. I had sold my cars, gave away my dog to go send people from the UK to go to the nations. I had no idea that thousands of people were also being led by the Holy Spirit to do the same thing. This is one of those moments in history where God's doing something and you can either be a part of it or not. And so it's a fun season to say God is reaching all peoples because he's ready to bring his bride back to himself. And so as we, we consider what Jesus has done and we consider what we might sacrifice, what we might do, I just want to challenge you this great quote, famous missionary Amy Carmichael When I consider the cross of Christ, can anything that I do be called sacrifice? 
when I consider what Jesus has done, me giving up my dog root is not a big deal. Us not understanding the NHS is not a big deal. What if God reached all peoples in this generation? What if Jesus came back in this generation? Do you want it? Have you prayed for it? Or are you just doing church and just hoping that's going to happen a few generations from now? What are you doing with that? Matthew 24, 14 is truth from Jesus. And if there's one verse I would challenge you to memorize from tonight, it's this. He says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The first time I heard this really preached on in a very powerful way, the speaker got up and he read every single word and emphasized each word like this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And this gospel, and he went through the entire thing. He read it, and then he sat down. That was his sermon. If this is not something that gives you hope, check your heart. Check your faith. Jesus is coming back. Are you excited for that? Do you want to be a part of his mission? Yes, I believe that. You wouldn't be here tonight unless you were. And I love that faith. But look at, look at what Piper says here. He says, this gospel should be preached. This gospel might be preached. He says, this gospel will be preached. Will be preached. This is not a great commission or a great commandment. It's a great certainty and a great confidence. A great confidence. Do you believe when Jesus says, and the end will come, that the end will come? Do you believe that when Jesus left and ascended and went to heaven, and he said, it is better that you have my spirit than me with you, do you believe that? Or is it like, you know what, I'm I'm kind of sort of filled with the Holy Spirit. Some days. When When worship gets going really good, then I'm excited. Then I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Or do you think life is better than I could ever imagine and that it's the mystery of old that Christ in you is the hope of glory and you get to experience this and you have a gospel worth sharing to the nations. Many of us don't go to the nations because we don't fully believe the gospel. Many of us don't pray or we don't even ask that God would move evangelistically in our city because it's not affected our own life. But if you look at your story... And I challenge you to do this, even if you, if you spend the rest of the night while I'm talking, journaling your own story down. If you read your story in reverse, it should give you faith. If you look at where you are today and what God has done to get you there, it should give you faith to go share the gospel. If you read your story backwards, you should say, there is no way without God's hand on my life that I am where I am today. And this is not it. This is not the end of the story. Uh, I look at my own life, and when I go backwards, I'm filled with faith. Yes, God provided for us to come to the UK. Yes, God, uh, 10 days after we decided to raise support, we found out we're pregnant with our second child. Woohoo! Okay? Yes, God has provided. 
God provided uh, our, our first child, Lucy, our little princess, through a pretty miraculous thing. We were praying. We, we didn't know if we'd be able to have kids. And we were saying, God, it's been five years. And we're in Jordan on a mission trip, and Pastor Ziad walks up to us, very culturally inappropriate, and he says, it's time for you to have children, to me and my wife. Lays hands on us with his wife. A month later, we're pregnant with Lucy. Healthy, beautiful baby. That fills my faith. I go backwards again. I remember when I'm 19 years old and I'm diagnosed with bone cancer and I'm given a 20% chance to live. And it's in that moment that I realize if I die, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. This is amazing. And I look at this doctor and I'm I'm asking these questions. It's clicking. Okay, I'm going to die at some point. And Jesus, if I make it through this, I'm yours. So to give you more of that story and why that built my faith, I get that 20% chance to live. They start with, hey, we're going to amputate from the hip down on your right leg, and we're going to do 32 rounds of chemo. It's basically a death sentence. And at 19, I was told that that's, that's the trajectory of things. And I'm saying, yes, this is, this is good. God, if you want to do this, here I am, Lord. Use me, right? And we pray, and we go back, and we pray, and we pray, and they end up cutting seven inches, or about 10 centimeters plus, out of my right femur. And they replace it with about five inches, or however it works out, seven or eight centimeters of bone from someone else. And so I am now in a wheelchair for about 13 months, wheelchair and crutches. And they go to scan my chest before they do the chemo rounds. And we get people, we get people pray, and they come back to us and they say, sorry, we have to scan tomorrow. So they pray, we get people, we get people pray, and we do another scan. They say, we're so sorry, Mr. Watson. This is at MD Anderson, Houston, Texas. They say, we have to have you come back next week. We have to have our, our uh, technician come out and look at the machine. And that's all they tell us. Then we do the scan a third time on my chest, and you know, you drink all the dye and do the bone scan and all this stuff. And then they bring my parents into a room and they start talking to them. And they say something to them and my parents are looking weird. I'm like, great, I'm really going to die. Like they won't even tell me. They're talking to my family. And I can see this happening. And then my parents and 11 doctors walk in the room. And Dr. Valerie Lewis looks me in the eye and she says, Mr. Watson, we can't find the cancer anywhere else in your body. It builds my faith. I've got a story to tell. Now, that didn't mean the next 10 years were easy of getting checked and treatment and all that and making sure you get all these tests, 2,200 more bone scans. That's why I didn't know if I was going to have kids. But it's a part of my story. And your story builds your faith to then be a part of God's mission. It shapes who you are in your relationships. Many of you have languages from other countries. Many of you have stories of being immigrants to this country. The UK is full of those stories. There's no accident and nothing is wasted in your story. There is no thing that was wasted. God uses everything for his glory. And I keep walking backwards and backwards and I see God's hand on my life in various ways. And all of it 
is for his glory and to build us towards choosing between really faith or comfort. When Guy Miller looked at us at Westminster Chapel, he said, I think you guys have a moment to choose between faith or comfort, and you're never going to forget this. For many of you in this room, you have to choose. You know too much. The Holy Spirit's spoken to you. You really can't go backwards. And if you're not obedient at this point, you're going to start missing out on the promises of God. hate to break it to you. Life just stinks when you're not obeying God. Besides the sin and all that other stuff, you're missing out on God's best. There's a mission for you to jump into. And your qualifications are, I'm broken, I'm needy, and I need Jesus. And I want to join in with him because he's worthy of all praise. And I should be dead without him. And I would be dead eternally without him. But I'm going to be with him for 10,000 years. I should probably get to know him. Why don't we start with that? And so when we take these steps of faith, it's built on years of God working in our hearts. But I would be really selfish and arrogant to say, oh, that's just me building my faith. That's me stepping into things without acknowledging the prayers of parents, without acknowledging the prayers of a grandmother that was in missions for 62 years, without acknowledging the stories of faith and family that build me up or the people in my church growing up that prayed for me as a kid. You are building faith around you. Imagine if one person showed up to this evening on missions. How much that would affect their soul. If Johnny was the only person that showed up here tonight. It's just me and Johnny. And I'm preaching at Johnny just like this. We would be missing out on what God is doing corporately. Even if you don't move to Jordan or something like that. You are building faith in your church. I'm encouraged to see this many people say, I want to know what God is doing in the nations. Do you see how your presence matters for the church? If this whole room sent one person, this is worth it. If this whole room simply saw one person come to faith through going to the nations, this is worth it. Do do you get that? Do you get that you're a part of something bigger than yourself? I want to share one of my favorite stories with you that, to me, was one of those moments. It was just no turning back. Healed of cancer, full of faith, early 20s. I'm ready to go. Like, let me run through a wall. Like, let's go. Jesus healed me of bone cancer. I'm going to go to Morocco. Okay? And so what I'm about to tell you not only really happened. There's other stories I can't even fully go around to this. And this is fun. Okay? So we're full of faith. We saw a guy uh, meet Jesus in his room. Jesus showed up into his room. Really happened. Cool story. I can't go into it for time's sake, okay? Um, And so we are full of faith. Short-term mission trip. Uh, We've got several people that that have come to faith in the first few days. If anybody says a short-term mission trip is not worth it, I would love to talk to them personally and see how God has cast vision for many things to happen. Um, What was so mind-blowing is everything I'm about to tell you was not planned. There was no strategy other than prayer. Um, I I love this because it was, we were so unqualified. We were the least, (laughs) the least that that should have been there. Uh, We were there with some long-term missionaries 
and we had seen somebody come to faith, and so we were actually worshiping for about two hours every morning in like a flat, and we would pray and ask God to send us out. Where do you want us to go? And we were hoping to meet people, share the gospel with them, and then introduce them to others. Uh, Someone saw us worshiping, and they uh, called the equivalent of secret police, and so we got a knock on the door, so we all had to go, you know, hide in the bathroom, that kind of thing. And so the long-term missionary says, hey, you guys have to get out of this flat. You have to go rent a hotel. You've got to get out of here or they'll trace you back to us. They saw everybody raising their hands, worshiping, got to get out of here kind of thing. And I was a team leader at 23 years old. And we had a couple in their 40s, a couple in their 50s, and then a lot of like college age, university-age students. And in that moment, they said, hey, Adam, you, you need to tell us what to do. And I said, I have no idea what to do. And the long-term missionary said, why don't you just go pray? That's a great idea. So I went and prayed for about an hour. And I came back and I said, I guess we need to split up and go other places. And maybe we do some of that fun stuff you were talking about. And he looks at me and he says, yeah, let's, let's send people out. Where do you want to send them? And I said, well, let's send, let's send the others over to uh, a neighboring city. That, and this guy was a pilot. He said, well, he can kind of do some white-collar evangelism, see if you meet some people in a hotel. And then I guess you were talking about that one crazy guy out in the village. Maybe a few of us could go see him. And so the long-term missionary's eyes get real big, and he's like, that's a great idea. And I realized later he hasn't even taken his kids out. He didn't want to go out there. He says, I'm not going there because I have kids. I'm like, great, that's good to know. Let's send the, send the young guys from Texas. And so... Um, they decided to go sit in a, a Riyadh, which is kind of like a Moroccan bed and breakfast, if you will, with a big open room. And the Lord told them just to stay there and pray for anybody that came into the hotel and checked in. And they were under the cover as tourists. And they got to share the gospel with about 20 people that came in and about four people came to faith over two days, which is unbelievable for Morocco. The other couple, uh, they had two college girls with them. They went and they shared the gospel with some people in um, uh, really a a fancy hotel. We just sent them there. And another guy who was a pilot, who was actually French, stationed in Morocco, him and one of his daughters came to faith. I mean, this is just over dinner. And then they said, well, let's have a meal again in the morning and talk. Came to faith. Incredible. Um, The three of us, me, myself, and a guy named uh, Logan, who was a um, very colorful testimony, had just got out of a lot of drugs, blonde hair, blue-eyed guy, um, full of the Holy Spirit. And then a guy named Cody, 19 years old, blonde hair, blue-eyed, had no business being in Morocco at all. That's the exact person God wants to use. It's illegal to share your faith there. It's illegal to have a Bible in Arabic. You can be thrown in jail. And we got this guy's contact we started to drive out to him. And so we're driving, we have a rental car, and we're driving on this, this path, and it really does look kind of like um, National Geographic in the mountains. And it starts to pour rain. I mean, pouring rain. And we're like, oh man, we're not going to be able to see these guys. We're not really going to do much ministry. And so it's pouring rain as we head out there. And we actually come to a place on the mountain where these guys with rifles, AK-47s, they're standing there in the middle of the road, turning cars around, taking people's paperwork, yelling at people, telling them to go back. But they wave our car through, and then they barricade the road behind us. 
And we're like, oh man, we thought we were going to die. Like if they had seen blonde hair, blue eyes, we're dead, right? And we drive on through the night. It's just us with the lights. Logan's driving. I'm doing some directions. And then Cody's in the back, 19 years old, praying his guts out. I mean, that's all we know how to do. We get to this town and we start yelling out the door because we're trying to call Simo and he's not answering. Well, the way we found out Simo is the nickname for Muhammad is about 20 men with hoods start walking towards our car, genuinely trying to help us. We thought, again, we're about to die. We're in Morocco. This is it. And they very kindly pointed us to Simo. We get to talk to Simo. He invites us into his home and he asks us immediately to start sharing the gospel with his brother, his sister, and his mom. And this is like the ultimate open door for a person of peace. What we read in Luke 10, a house of peace, let your peace rest on this house. We went, we didn't have hotel reservations. We said, Simo, we're staying with you and we're sleeping on your couch. And we're there and saying, okay, God, what do you want us to do with this? You've you've brought us here. We just shared the gospel. Who knows if they're going to report us? That morning we wake up and there's kids playing in the street and it's raining. They're playing in the rain. And we're thinking, this is, this is weird. Why are these kids playing in the rain? We just thought that's what you do in a village in Morocco. And we breakfast. And then Simo says, I want to take you to meet my dad to share the gospel with him. And we think nothing of it. And we say, that's great. Let's go. So we get in our little rental car and we drive out to what looked like a field. We pull up to the field. And it's full of orange rocks that are sitting up straight. Just rows and rows of these orange rocks. And I'm thinking, this is not what I thought I was driving up to. And Simo walks us up to one of the rocks and says, this is my dad in the grave. Would you pray that he goes to heaven? (laughs) My theology is... Exploding. My inadequacy, my insecurity, my fear. I can't do this. God, I'm not enough. What is this? Shock. Logan and I, I mean, he's got a serious story. Drugs, all sorts of stuff. We look at each other. We're just glued. We don't know what to say. Frozen. Simo's looking at us for an answer. He has decided to follow this Jesus to have his whole family hear the gospel. Can't this God do something for his dead dad? 19-year-old Cody, praise God for faith like a child, stands up and starts weeping and praying over a Muslim graveyard that no more people would die and go to hell in this village and praying that no one else in Simo's family would die and go to hell. Tears. Simo understands what's happening. There was no talk of theology. There was no talk that there's no hope for your dad. It was the reality set in. We didn't have to say anything. It was the prayer of 19-year-old Cody. We hop back in the car because he says, we've got to go to Hamza's house right now. Hamza's dad needs to hear this before he dies. Talk about urgency, understanding the gospel. What if we acted like that? We drive to Hamza's house and we get there and Hamza 
has started to read the Bible with Simo. There's a seed here for sure. It's amazing. They have to talk in Berber for the dad. It's going English to Berber to Arab, or sorry, English to Arabic to Berber and back. Berber, it's tribal language, to Arabic to English. So you just slow time down by three times, and you think you're going to die in a Muslim village. That's at 23, what I'm thinking. I don't know what I'm doing. And God, in his mercy, had spoken to, uh, to Logan that morning and said, Logan, today you're going to pray for somebody to be healed. So Logan looks at me, and he had told me that this morning, that morning, and he says, hey man, I'm supposed to pray for his hand. I look up, and Hamza's dad's hand is curled like this. Muslim man, arm curled, has to do triple translation, and he's saying he's supposed to pray for his hand. Here we go. Prays for his hand. He starts to do this. Hands healed. He stands up and he starts yelling and pointing his finger. Third time in 24 hours, I think I'm going to die. He starts yelling and pointing and screaming. And he does it again and he goes around the whole room again. And I know he's not yelling at us this time. And he's just overwhelmed with emotion and he's, he's sitting up out of his chair and he's, he's looking around and there's like this, it's like he woke up. Something spiritual has happened. And Simo starts laughing. I'm thinking, I'm really going to die. And Simo says, he's telling his sons that he's prayed to Allah for three years for rain and you men came in the name of Jesus and it rained. They will now all be Christians. You can show that picture. That's us. That's Simo in the top. Those are the sons. That wrecked my life. Hamza took that picture. He broke so many Muslim traditions, invited his wife in, the daughter, told a neighbor to come over later that day. They had a guitar with four strings. And they said, can you sing a song for us about Jesus? Well, Logan, really broken past, drugs, everything. You just imagine totally redeemed by God. He's the guy in the tan jacket. He had been flirting with a girl in our college ministry. She taught him, open the floodgates of heaven, let it rain. We sang that for almost an hour. We sat there and, and shared the gospel in every broken way that we could, in perfect ways. God started to move through that village. We didn't know this at the time. That village was on the list of unreached people groups through the Joshua Project. That was the first time the gospel had been proclaimed to a household. Simo was not alone anymore. The first time they baptized people was over Skype with the long-term missionary because they said, we're just ready to do this. It's in a bathtub over Skype. 
they baptized each other, Hamza and Sima. That just totally gives me hope, builds my faith. God is still on the move. And as we consider what God is, is wanting to do, there's more. He wants to see all people come to himself. Acts 17, 26 through 27 says this, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. That they're feeling their way toward... There was a desire for supernatural power. There was a desire for something more. They didn't know that they were reaching out for Jesus. John Piper says this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. The reason we're going is so that they get to experience the worship of Jesus. They get to worship and give him the glory that he is due. Piper says this, Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. You are inviting people to worship Jesus in heaven. That's evangelism. During COVID, missions was stirred up globally in many ways. In 2020, it was the least amount of sending of missionaries since World War II. In 2021, it doubled from 2019. There's a surge of people going to the nations right now that we get to be a part of. Um, There's God doing incredible things with young people. This is my wife, Laura and Rania. During COVID, they were locked down in Morocco. She could not go anywhere. And she had a vision of a man named Jesus in her kitchen. And she had a vision that if she reached out and took his hand, she would live. If she didn't, she would die, and that would be it. And she took his hand, and she started to read the Bible on her phone. And for two years, she did not know that there were Christians in her city. She read the Bible secretly on her phone. When we were praying and walking through a park, my daughter Lucy ran up to her because she was smiling, which is kind of terrifying. And Lucy ran up to her and they started to play together. And Laura got to talk to her and tell her that there are the good news about Jesus. And she said, oh, you're a Christian. You're the first one I've met. I've read about getting baptized. Could you baptize me? Their first conversation. You see this next one. It's a really fun one because Lucy's a part of it and she's our princess. And that's just kind of how we do life right there. It's a little chaotic, but it, it's never boring. That's, I promised Laura we would always follow Jesus and life would never be boring. Didn't promise her we'd be wealthy or have a house or anything, but we've held to those promises. It's never boring and we're following Jesus. Osama that's sitting with me right there is a Kuwaiti missionary. His life was threatened twice in Kuwait. He was almost killed uh, by multiple groups. And he now spends every day sharing the gospel. This meal you see right here is me, Osama, and a brother, I can't say his name, 
for several reasons. One, it's hard to pronounce, and one, it would not be worth it for his own sake. He is the only Christian in his family. He can't even tell his wife that he's a Christian because her dad is the imam, and if she finds out, she will tell on her own husband and potentially have him killed. It's an honor killing. And this is the first time that he's taken communion. And so we took the food that she gave, and we had communion with him. He would do anything to be in a room like this tonight. Revelation 7, 9, after, I, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands. That is where we are headed. Don't judge other nations. Don't judge other races. You're going to worship Jesus with them forever. Invite them in. Jesus deserves their worship. There are currently 3.2 billion people without access to the gospel. We consider this unreached, unengaged with the gospel. Don't get caught up in the statistic. When I see that now, I think of names. I think of people that I know. People's lives who are threatened. There's the persecuted church, which is under a lot of distress. There are people who are being threatened daily. Um, Two weeks or three weeks ago, uh, Guy Miller and I were with some people praying in, uh, in Parliament, actually. He was asked to pray there, and I just got to be a fly on the wall. And there was a woman from Iran that got up and shared that her whole family had been killed because of her father's house church. She escaped, and then she was put into a male prison for two years. And you just imagine that in Iran. And she continued to share the gospel there and all that happened to her. And she's now sharing about the need of the persecuted church. I talked to a pastor from Nigeria in the same meeting whose family, and uh, he actually saw one of his nephews killed by Boko Haram. The 1040 window is the most dangerous place on earth to be a Christian, um, but for various reasons. But that is the bulk of that 3.2 billion people. I want to challenge you as a church on this. 1% of the global church's money goes towards the 1040 window. 1%. 3% of people who say they're in ministry would be in the 1040 window. That breaks our hearts, right? It should, but it should also cause us to take some action if we believe this. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It's just as true in Arabic as it is in English, right? Again, Piper said this gospel should, it's not should be preached, not might be preached, but will be preached. One of the big tasks of contextualization or of sharing the gospel is that we need to contextualize it. We need to share the gospel in ways that people will receive it. From one generation to the next, uh, you don't see people standing up with suits in here in the, in the UK like they did 100 years ago. We should adapt how we're sharing the gospel. The gospel doesn't change, but we should share in a way that people can receive it. I want to share a story with you of, of somebody who felt completely unequipped to share the gospel. 
and uh, her name's Jenna. She was at our church in Texas, and she, she shared uh, in a way that's very simple, and I want to just share it with you. And it's, it's very basic in many ways, but it's, that, it's, it's called Three Circles. Has anybody seen this before? Raise your hand if you've seen it. If you haven't, that's great. This is so simple. We're praying, and we're going to the homes of Syrian refugees, sharing the gospel with people. And Jenna's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm completely unequipped. I have no reason to be here. And she was just down on herself. And she's praying and telling our whole group that morning, I don't think I have any reason to be here. Can anybody relate to Jenna? Anybody? And she shares this simple gospel presentation with a woman who's Muslim, full hijab, everything. And she said, this is, this is God's design. God designed a world that's full of love. And he created that world, but we chose to rebel and sin against God. And she's sitting cross-legged, just sharing over a cup of tea. You guys like tea. She's sharing that. And she says, you know, but we sinned and we broke this world. And, and yet we, we try to find satisfaction in all these other things. We go looking for these things in other places. And she contextualized the gospel in a way this woman could understand. And she says, you know, we try to find that in security through marriage or through jobs. We try to find that in other places, and yet we know the world is very broken. She goes on to share that, hey, the only way that we get back to this perfect design that God had is the gospel. It's this good news. All you have to do is repent and believe. Hopefully this is sounding similar to you guys, right? Do you, do you preach this gospel too? Just checking, Joe. Just making sure we're on the same track here. And she says, you know what? You can... Share this with others. You can recover from this brokenness and become holy again and be in God's presence. And you can pursue other people. Is there anybody? So before she gave the gospel presentation close of, do you believe this or what circle do you see yourself in? Are you in a brokenness circle or God's design? Very simple. She says, is there anybody else that needs to hear this? And she says, yes, the lady downstairs needs to hear this. And the translator looks shocked. And what we did not know, what the ladies didn't know, but the translator knew is that these two women were Muslim women from Syria married to the same man. He had died when he went back to Syria in the war. So these are two women legally married to the same man, living in the same house, and one has just heard the gospel, and her first response is to say, yes, my sister wife downstairs needs to hear the gospel. What do you do? Well, they just all come to faith. <laughs> Jenna is on the, the right of the screen right there. The translator is Ziad's wife, Summer, the, the wife of the man who prayed for me and my wife to get pregnant. The lady in the middle was the first one to come to faith, and she wanted the lady on the far left to come to faith. They're both going to be with you in heaven one day. Amen? Amen? The other lady I haven't mentioned. Just to give you a picture of God's healing power in missions. And this is just as miraculous as those women coming to faith. She had been married to a worship pastor for a decade. Three years before this picture was taken, he had an affair and left her. This was the first church event she had been at was going on a mission trip with our church. She's back in ministry 
because of the healing power of God and the restorative power of the gospel. Jenna felt completely unequipped. Summer was scared because she knew of all the legal stuff of two wives come to faith. She had to deal with all that. What do we do with these women? How do we work this out? Do you see the redemptive power of the gospel? It's not just about a proclamation or a one-time thing. It is God redeeming all people to himself. Do we believe Acts 17 that we read earlier? Having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. Do you believe God has you here on the south coast of England for a reason? For his eternity. I think so. I think he's given you gifts in your church. And I'll quickly go through this. But I would challenge you. Look around the room right now. Everybody just take a second. Don't look at me. Look around the room. What has God put in here for the sake of the gospel? What has God put in here to reach the nations? There's more than you can imagine. Because you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. I'd encourage you, when you see stuff tonight, when we worship in just a minute, fan into flame the gift that God has given in this room. There are gifts of the Holy Spirit in this room to reach the nations. What if God used you guys to reach the nations? What if missionaries started flooding out of the university because they came to this church? What if God used a church in South England to change the world? He did it with 12 disciples. I think he could do it with this room. I, I, I just want to bless you with a few more. This is Tonkachan. He's the example of an apostle. I love his testimony. When you ask Apollos Tonkachan his testimony, he says, you say, how did you become a Christian? He says, my father was a Hindu priest and my mother was a Hindu priestess and they couldn't get pregnant. And so my mother was scared and so she would go to other temples and try to give sacrifices. And, and one day she heard that there was this Indian missionary in town. And so she went and she got a charm from him called a Bible. <laughs> she took it back to her house and she hid it. She didn't even read it. And the husband comes home, his dad, and every night the, he would summon a demon to come guard the home. And the demon says, there is a God greater than me in your home, greater than I in your home. I cannot enter your home. And the husband gets upset and he says, what have you done, wife? What did you do? What, do you, you know, what idol did you bring in here? And she just has a book. And she says, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. He actually beats her. And then finally, three days in, she gives him the Bible. He takes the Bible to the demon out in the street and says, if this God is greater than you, then why do I need you? Starts to read the Bible, obviously becomes a Christian. That's his dad. As of 2015, this man right here had helped plant 167 churches. That's an apostle. His main church where he preaches is across from a Hindu temple and he painted Jesus is Lord in Tamil on the top of it in red. So it's to be the blood of Jesus. And every time they walk out of the Hindu temple, they have to see the blood of Jesus that says Jesus is Lord. Love him. One of my favorite quotes is, someone to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's fun, okay? This is Ziad who prayed for me. 
for healing. If you talk to Ziad, you ask him what he does. He says he helps the poor and he shares the gospel with some people. In reality, he was the first person to take the Jesus film to every village and he's been, uh, his life's been threatened twice. The first time his life was threatened is because he was a Muslim, essentially chaplain in the Air Force, and he converted to atheism. And so they beat him. It's about an inch of his life because he had denied the faith. And then they kick him out of the military, and he uh, decides that he is now going to become a Christian. His uncles and his brothers beat him. Now two of his brothers are also pastors. And so they all get to share the gospel all the time. Um, we need to equip each other for the work of ministry. Um, yeah, evangelist Simo went on to share the gospel with people in his village. Um, I shared about how they did the baptism thing. They've continued to share the gospel. Hamza is actually the one who's taken it even further. And uh, they've seen really a movement of God. That was once considered unreached people. That tribe is being reached. For the sake of time, I'm going to keep going here. Uh, this guy, though, Bruce Walker, bless him, changed my life. Um, he goes and he trains counselors in the Middle East, and he shepherds the shepherds. And if you're a shepherd in here tonight and you're hearing all this evangelistic talk, we need you desperately. Caring for missionaries and caring for workers on the field is vitally important to the mission of God. And I just want you to hear that. The guy in the red vest had a vision of Jesus when he was 12, that he should do three things. Become a Christian, go to a seminary, and that he would become a lawyer. And so he jokes that he's hated for multiple reasons in his country, namely because he's a lawyer and he's a Christian. Guys, you, you have the gifts of the Spirit in this, this room. Um, you have people in this place that I think want to go and want to share and want to serve God. This is not something one person can do. And I think God's calling grace to do something as a church. And that's what we're about to switch gears and pray for tonight. Look at the plurality of this right here. Just look at the numbers. Look closely at those words in these last two verses. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, tongue, language, uh, language and people, and nation. Revelation 7, 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Do you see the multitude? This is not a small thing. We have been invited to the mission of God. And so I just challenge you, what is your role in God's global mission? Are you called to send? And if you're called to send, send well. Send your best people. It's going to hurt if you send. It's going to sting. You're going to cry, and they're going to cry if you send well. And it's going to be beautiful. Because it's, it's sacrifice that cannot compare to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And it's worth it. And he is worthy to send your best. Send your best. How, how is grace? And as Chichester Brogdon, I haven't everybody, 
How is Grace Church called to participate in the mission of God? See, Joe can't answer this by himself. The elders can't answer this. It's based on the gifts that God has already put in you. It's based on you saying, I'm going to obey Jesus. Here are my five loaves and my two fish. Here you go, guys. This is what I can contribute. I can go. I can be sent. I can give. It's not up to your pastors, your elders. They're just giving you the opportunity to worship God. How can sending church planners and missionaries bless your church? Oh, I love the economy of God. It's so upside down. The more people you send, you're going to be a magnet for what God wants to do and heal hearts and redeem this city. The most pastoral thing you could do for your city is to send from your city. Because healthy things multiply. And if you're healthy here as a church, you will multiply. How are you mobilizing each other? Are you encouraging each other to think about the nations? I mean, Joe had a vision for this night. He's mobilizing us, right? We're leaving saying, God's doing something. I don't know what my next step is, but I need to be a part of it. Are you mobilizing your kids? Are you telling them that there's more to this life? There are three stages to every great work of God. I love this. First, it is impossible. Then it is difficult. Then it is done. What a legend, right? But do you want to spend the next, however long you have left on this earth, coasting and watching Netflix and scrolling through Instagram and Facebook? Or do you want to go out in a ball of flames? I do. Go. If God wants you to go, go. Life will be miserable until you obey Jesus. That's my story. I told you some great ones. But the 10 years between knowing you're supposed to go and going, that's painful. Because you know there's more. And for many of you in this room, you know God's called you to things. It might not be to move overseas. It might not be to plant a church. But you know to obey the king that has saved you. When Jesus would often heal people or forgive their sins, he would say, go and sin no more. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, obey. If you love me, you will obey me. For all of us, doesn't matter where you are, you're called to pray. Called to pray, and that's what we're going to do now. We're going to pray for three things. And we're going to pray for the persecuted church. There are people that, again, would die to be in this room. We're going to pray for unreached peoples, peoples who've never heard the gospel. And poverty is one of the biggest issues for that, by the way. And then we're going to pray for Grace Church to be on mission. And so I know Joe's got a few people that want to pray for those things. And I want to pray for you before the first person comes up to pray for the persecuted church. And we're going to get a little active in this. And so if you would just stand where you are. And to give us a little bit of direction, uh, as these people come up to pray, I want you to go ahead and get a groups of three if you can. And worship guys, if you want to go ahead and come on up. Today is one of those days where God's speaking to you. And I hope you forget me. And I hope I'm just some crazy American friend of Joe's that came through. 
But you know that God reached Sima and his family. You know that Hamza's dad will be in heaven with you one day. You know that God is doing something bigger than you. And it's not about just this church. It's not about what other people think. It's not about us sitting in our worry and our fears. It's that King Jesus is worthy to be praised. Amen? Amen. You guys are full of faith. When we sang one song earlier, we were about to go into 45 minutes of worship, right? You're anticipating God's best. And Satan would love nothing more to bring division in this church, to bring arrogance, to bring pride. And so I'm going to pray for unity. Because when I look around this room, if this church would stay pure and unified, you will send missionaries to the nations. If you're quick to repent of sin and restore things, you will go to the nations. And so we're going to pray for a few things. And have other people pray. And I know it's nine o'clock. And so if you're a parent and you have to go, God bless you. There is no guilt if you need to go. But guys, don't miss what God's doing in your church. Don't miss that it's a new day. COVID's over. The past is the past. You get to walk with Jesus. We're going to see him face to face. And that is enough. That is enough. So just grab the hand of somebody close to you, and we're going to start with this. And reach across the aisles or whatever you need to do. Jesus, I pray right now for this church, for its three sites. Would you bring unity and purity in the name of Jesus, God? Would you bring purity over this church? I pray for the marriages in this church, that there would be no brokenness, no unfaithfulness. We pray for your purity over this church, God. Bless them with faithfulness by your mercy, God. Let them be faithful to each other. We pray for every couple in this church. Strengthen their marriage. Bless them. We pray against pride in this church, God. We pray that other people would celebrate the gifts that are in this church, God. That we would celebrate a missionary going to the nations just as much as a seven-year-old coming to faith in the kids' group, God. Would there be joy over this place? And Father, would you fill them with faith? God, we, we lift our voices to you now, asking you to speak. You have spoken in many ways and in many times, but would you speak right now and show us how you want us to be part of your mission? Lift your voice if you want to and just ask him, God, what is my role in your mission? What do you want me to do? What do you want my church to do? And if God's speaking to you, just lift that to him. Pray for that and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lift that up to him. I want to encourage you now, if you're in a line, get into a group of three or four with people and just find a small group of people together. If Joe's called you to pray, would you just come up here? If 
First, we're going to pray for the persecuted church. So lift your voices in your groups, and then she'll pray for us to close us out. So lift up your voices, just praying for those who've been persecuted. Maybe one person in the group takes that and just pray for those that can't worship freely like we can here tonight. Just pray for that in your group. King Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We lift up the persecuted churches unto you. Thank you, O Lord, for their faith in you. Thank you for the hope that they have in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for strength that you give to each one of them. Thank you for families. Thank you, O God, for the head of homes. And thank you, O God, for wherever they are hiding. We just want to lift them up unto you, Lord. The Lord, you will meet with their physical needs, O God. Lord, we pray, O God, for strength for them. We pray, O God, that you renew their hope in you. Lord, I pray that your will will be done concerning their life. You know where they are hiding. You know where they, what they have gone through, O God, and you know what they are going through. Lord, we pray, O God, that heavens will open unto this one, O God. You will send them help, O God. Lord, we say, Father, we are standing with them, and we say they will be encouraged, O God. Father, we say you will increase their faith. We pray for more grace for them, O God. We pray for supplies of everything they need for them, O God. Father, we pray that you will comfort them, O God. Many of them have been bereaved. Lord, we pray, O God, you will comfort them, O God. You will help them to stand till they end. Father, we pray, O God, that none of them will, will, will go away from your love, O God. Father, we pray, O God, that each one of us, we will continue to lift them up, O God. We will continue to pray for them. And I pray for protection for them, wherever they are. Many of the missionaries, as uh, they, some of them, may, may, they may want to kill them now. We pray, for, we, we, we pray for deliverance, O God, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And not the situation that they find themselves, we pray that your will will be done. God's gospel will continue to move like a white fire in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we say, oh God, even all the people that are that, that, that are against them, they, 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 their spirit will be melted and they will receive you as their Lord and Savior in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because you are God, you reign, you rule, oh God. You are King Jesus, oh God. Father, we pray, oh God, that your will will be done. You will, you, you will do what only you can do. Do, oh God. And Father will say you will help us, oh God, to be able to continue to stand and to supply and to and to help all these people with our faith in the name of Jesus. Thank you because it is so in Jesus' name. Guys, gonna come up and I want you to now in your groups again just pray for the unreached. Pray for salvation right now. Pray for miracles to happen where the unreached would have access to the gospel. Just pray in your groups now. Lift up your voices to Jesus. Lord, we just thank you that your eyes are upon the nations. And Lord, right from every continent, we know that there are many people groups that aren't yet reached at all whether it's in the Amazon or whether it's in Sudan or or whether it's in India or, or whether it's wherever it is, God, there are people groups that have never heard the name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray for those people groups, but we pray for ourselves as well, Lord, and people like us who have come to know you, 
Lord, that we will be willing to get out of our comfort zones and whether we're to be senders or whether we're to go or whether we're to pray or whether we're to whatever it is that you want us to do. God, I pray that you will engage your heart with our hearts and that we will hear the call of the unreached people groups that not only will people be going into those groups and preaching your gospel, but Lord, your word will be translated into those nations' languages and into those people groups' languages. And God, that you will reach by your Holy Spirit into the deepest, darkest place on this earth to reach those people. And Lord, we, we, we can only say those famous words, Lord, send me in whatever way you want me to work to reach those unreached people's groups, whether it's giving money, sending people, going myself, God, I pray that every people group will be reached in the name of Jesus and will hear of the kingdom of God and will have the opportunity to be saved. Amen. Now we're going to pray for, for Grace Church. And I want you to pray that God would send from this place. Whatever, if God's given you a prophetic word for the church, to pray that, share that with the people in your group. Um, Tony's going to pray for us in just a second. Uh, but I want you guys to lift your voices up. As we go into worship after Tony prays, um, I'm going to ask the holders to be over here, uh, the leeches. Um, you guys, these, these couples right here, they'll all be available. Janice and Tony, Liz, you guys, come come stand up here. If you want to pray tonight, and if God's moving in your heart in some way and you need to take a step of obedience or you just need to pray with somebody, uh, it's clear the Holy Spirit is doing something. And so uh, they'll be over there to pray for you. I'll be over there. Um, and guys, just if I can just encourage you, just practice for heaven when you worship. Have fun. It's, it's, it's closer than you think. So lift up Grace Church. Father, thank you that the gospel came to us and you've changed our lives. Lord, we're, we're like the early disciples. Where else can we go? We're compelled to follow you and, and it's come to us to go to others. Thank you for the wonders of the gospel, that it's life transforming. You've changed us. We were dead in our sin and you've made us alive. And that's what your gospel does. And so, Lord, our confidence is not in one another, but it's in the power of the gospel. And, Lord, we want to say with all our anxieties, all our hang-ups, we want to be a people who go. We want to be a people who go to our neighbours. We want to be a people who go to those at the school gate. We want to be people that go in our workplaces. And, and I ask, Holy Spirit, will you come upon us? Fill us with your spirit. Lord, Lord we, want to, we want to set our face like Flint for the gospel from tonight on. Lord God, I, I, I ask that revival would come. Lord, will you do it before I die? Lord God, I... Not, but for your glory, that you're a mighty God, for your name's sake. What a name. It's about you. It's about worship of you. And that, that many people across Sussex, Haven and Bognor and Chichester and Midhurst and the places in between and stretching towards London and, and the rest of the nation, there will be a, an outpouring of your spirit like we've never seen. 
Lord, not just a little movement, a little ripple, but a power of the gospel shuddering through this nation. Lord, thank you that there is power in the gospel. And Lord, you use people. You use your people. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use us at Grace Church. Lord, not for our glory, not that we have anything to be proud of, but we say, look at this Saviour. What a King. What a Saviour. Look at these lives transformed one after the other, family after the other. Lord, let this be a production line of baptisms in this place and the churches in around us. So we ask that you'd move. Lord, we, we surrender our lives to you. Lord, we say, have your way. Lord, help us to be more like John the Baptist, not our way. We would decrease and you would increase. And Lord, that we would shine like, like stars in a crooked generation. Lord, it's obvious when you see someone who knows you. Lord, may we be filled with your spirit and see you move in power. And Lord, I pray for signs and wonders. Lord, raise our expectation. God, that you might use us. Lord, we've we got nothing to offer, but we've got everything to offer because we can offer Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So we ask, move in power. Move across our towns and across our cities for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen.